The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. The adventures begin. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today's adventure. And I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. Joining me today as co-host is spiritual rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing really well today, Jim. I have to tell the listeners that I am really excited about Jim's t-shirt today. <laughs> share what's on your t-shirt? Please, yes. It says words of wisdom, and I thought, ooh. And then underneath it is a big picture of Chewbacca, and it says, Arr! I can't do the noise. <laughs> but, uh, but I appreciate that we've brought some furry words of wisdom in today to the show. Absolutely. And I have to say that you've messed me up because that was going to be my quote for the day. Oh, was it? Can you do a Chewbacca? Uh, well, you know, when my son was little, he and I used to do Chewbacca together. Oh, You know, it was kind of our one of our things that we did. He's 14 now. He doesn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> it's okay. When he gets to be 20, he will. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I am not, however, going to say that uh, on the air what you know, doing the Chewbacca sound on the air. I, I just don't, I, I have to practice for some time. I've been out of practice, so. Excellent. So I'll take that as a challenge for a future episode to get you to do it. Sure, you can take it that way. <laughs> so I understand that you have finished watching the entire series of Picard. Is this true? It is true. You know, I don't know why it took me so long. I kind of dripped it, right? It took me a couple months to go through it. I, I, I didn't want to blow through it too fast. What did you think? Without I, any spoiler alerts, of course. Right. I loved it. I loved it. It was very different, you know, and it was a bit dark uh, in some ways, but I thought it had some interesting th things to say about consciousness and, you know, what what constitutes our consciousness and, and where we are in terms of our body or something else. I won't give, you know, any major things away, but um, I also thought it was about changing paths and doing what's important on top of that, which was a really interesting development for Picard as a character, you know, being very by the book in most of the next generation and having to change, you know, as he's gotten older and some things have happened. What did you think? Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. I also think um, to see him love 
Mm -hmm. right? We're used to seeing him be loyal to his friends. Right. Um, but to see him love, I think, was, was a development in here. Um, I also think all of the um, ideas, like you're talking about consciousness, AI, right? Humanoids, synthoids, like where do we expand our compassion? How far out do we go? And that's something that's been interesting to me. You know, it, it's beyond humans for me, right? It's to other living beings. And then once you get past all the living beings, you say, well, what about Siri? What about Alexa? Oh my <laughs> now goodness. Those, now those are commercial apps, right? Which is a little different than what we're talking about in Picard. Right. Um, but it raises some really great questions as we start interacting with more and more AI, how we do that. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of dystopian future, you know, thoughts on it, but there are, maybe there's in between. I mean, what is consciousness and, and how does it develop? And, and it's just, it's very intriguing. Well, you know, it was interesting. My, my husband and I have a pretty big age difference. We have 18 years between us. So whenever we watch TV, it's fabulous because we get two different perspectives on kind of throwback stuff, right? And we were talking about this idea of robots and, and other life forms. And I said, you know, I was raised on R2-D2 and C-3PO, right? From my earliest ages, um, I've, I've had this idea of other life forms that are metal. And, and, you know, how do we interact with them? And they bring me joy to watch them and, you know, and to interact with them. So, um, and then he brought up Lost in Space, right? Yeah, so if we yeah. look back in all of our histories, we've been talking about these other life forms for quite some time. I just don't think we've figured out the ethics of it yet. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to take us a while to figure out the ethics yeah. of it. Did you watch the updated Lost in Space? We're watching that now. Ooh, very good. Really enjoying that. It is. Um, I'm a big Parker Posey fan. Mm -hmm. So to see like some of my, um, I don't know, my, my, my favorite actors of peers, well, I'm not an actor, but <laughs> folks of my own age, <laughs> um, to be doing these interesting roles now is, is or to see Picard age, right, into his right. retirement career, right. um, things like that. It's a lot of fun for those of us who are having our midlife crises. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, are you ready for our dueling inspirational quotes? Who will win this week? Oh, I'm going to win because I'm pulling on the heartstrings. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Go for it. Okay. I now perceive one immense omission in my psychology is the deepest principle of human nature is the craving to be appreciated. Wow. Who is that? So that's William James right? Mm -hmm. Who wrote Varieties of Religious Experience. And what I like about that, drum roll please, is do you know it's our anniversary? It is? It is. Outlook told me that one year ago is when you reached out to me to interview me for Spiritual Rebel. Oh my gosh. And so I picked this quote today because I wanted to tell you that I appreciate you. Oh, well, that's so kind. And I appreciate oh. you too. I'm so glad we've been able to develop this relationship. And Gosh, I, I'm so glad I was forcing you into becoming a co-host with me. Oh, I'm your eternal co-host, Jim. You're stuck <laughs> with me. But, you know, also we're going to be talking a little bit today um, with, with Greg about appreciation. That's one of the pieces that's um, in, in his book. And so it reminded me to tell you, I appreciate you and I'm grateful for you, Jim. Oh, same, same to you, my friend. Same to you. All right. Are you ready for my quote? I am. It's a little bit long. <laughs> you're loquacious today go for it <laughs> your your heart is the place where love is born it is the bottomless well for, from which you can draw as often as you need to 
Every time you come to the well, you drink the waters of life. Your spiritual thirst is quenched. Your sins are forgiven. You're baptized, healed, and renewed. Whenever life feels difficult, there is only one place that offers you sanctuary. You must learn to make your pilgrimage there on a regular basis. Can you guess who? No, but I like the living water thing, and I'm getting a little course of miracles kind of back end on that, but I have no idea who it is. Well, you're close. Uh, Paul Farini from uh, Reflections of the Christ Mind. Kind of a Course of Miracles kind of thing, I think. That's nice. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Um, you know, I'm, I I feel that when we talked about this, I got the sense that R2-D2 was calling. But You know, I do. And I, and I have to apologize for that, that I, you know, I turned my droids off before we started today. Uh, but I think <laughs> that when we started talking about them, they decided to rebel. <laughs> or perhaps it's the Borg. Resistance is futile. And so is turning on Do Not Disturb. So I apologize to you and the listeners. About oh, that. no, no problem. And you know what, it's all going back to the heart anyway. So, you know, um, I think our, our uh, mechanical friends are just chiming in. I like to think that. Words of wisdom from furry beasts and droids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready to jump into the episode? I am. Awesome. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Greetings, friends. It's Martha Creek reach me at marthacreek.com. The thought for today, the topic of today is welcome everything, push nothing away. Whoo, that's a big one, huh? So look at the stress and the consequences on your life of resisting, pushing things away, aggression even toward it, your irritations, frustrations, denial, Pushback, 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 avoidance. And get a sense in that instead of doing that, that you're going to go toward it, not away from it. So what is, is, you've heard it many times. Many of you, I suspect, have it on your wall on a plaque. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing entirely to live it. So things are as they are. What is, is as it is. So we may not love this. We may not like this. We may not condone this. It may not be our preference for dog on shore. But until it is included, included, then we live hostage to that. Something important about this thought of to, to welcome everything. And I cannot welcome everything. I cannot misrepresent that. I can, however, generally include everything. I accept the full spectrum of life, the full spectrum of humanity, the full spectrum of what is, the full spectrum of emotions. So allowing for it and less and less and less pushing it away. So that means then to include that there will be times of suffering and we desperately are trying to avoid suffering instead of accepting that suffering is part of our human learning processes, part of our conscious soul's progression and our soul's evolution and that instead of trying to avoid suffering we can allow for that too and even turn toward it and I read a quote in a book recently and it was this 
Suffering does not end by drenching it in sunshine. Suffering does not end by drenching it in sunshine. From a book called The Five Invitations. So, instead then of that, repeating that in another 10 years, 5 years, 10 minutes, whatever it is, to include that this suffering is part of our human learning processes and not to push anything away, not to deny, not to push back, uh, to live in delusion about what's included and what's not, that all is a part of the all. So who would you be if you included everything, resisted nothing, pushed away nothing, and discover the power within you that is not to control what is, but to control how you relate to what is. Blessings, friends. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. And now it's time for our interview. Dr. Greg Hammer is a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, and professor at Stanford University Medical Center. A member of the Stanford WellMD Initiative and the Wellness Committee for the American so Society of Anesthesiologists, he's currently the chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. I don't know how many times I can say anesthesiologist. Um, he's been a visiting professor and lecturer on wellness at institutions worldwide and teaches GAIN to medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford. Dr. Hammer's clinical focus is a pediatric cardiac anesthesia and pediatric critical care medicine. He is a health enthusiast and meditator utilizing a non-duality and mindful-based approach. Greg is the author of Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. Welcome to Big Universe, Greg. Thank you so much, Jim. It's really great to be with you. I have to say that I did practice saying anesthesiologist. It just, it happened so many times in that introduction. He did. He was doing it really well too, till the microphone came on, but, but good attempt there, Jim. <laughs> I thought you did a great job, Jim. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I really enjoyed your book. Um, I know that it was originally aimed at the health, at healthcare workers, but it truly is helpful to a larger audience, especially with everything that's, uh, that's going on right now. Um, so you say in the book that uh, most healthcare professionals and, and other folks have, haven't bridged the gap between science and practice, but you've kind of distilled this essence in the process that's, um, you're, you're calling it an antidote to burnout. First off, tell us what burnout is. What does that mean? Burnout is uh, a state of emotional and physical exhaustion related to stressors or stress, and the stress can be internal or external. Certainly right now, an example of external stress would be the COVID pandemic, which is creating so much pain and suffering for so many people and also uncertainty for all of us. And uncertainty is one of the real sources of stress in our lives. So lots of stress external to us and uh, plenty of stress always internally. And uh, that leads to 
fatigue and exhaustion, both physical and mental, and that is, in fact, the meaning of burnout. With the current virus situation, people are working in their homes a lot more. It seems, and in healthcare workers, it's it's very much on the on the rise. But how is it uh, affecting people in their homes right now? I think that people working at home are subjected to a number of different kinds of stress. First of all, there's the just the ambient global stress, if you will. Uh, we don't really know where this is going, how long it's going to last. We don't know when we're going to physically be able to get back together with people that we love. Uh, we don't know when our kids are going to go back to school on a full-time basis, which is so important for their development, of course, and practically so important for running a household. Right. And when you don't know what's going to happen, when you're faced with that uncertainty, that represents a lot of stress. And importantly, we have a negativity bias. That means that we tend to focus on and remember negative things rather than positive things. We tend to focus on what we don't know or what we don't have, as opposed to what we do know and what we do have. And that negativity bias feeds into the stress because when we don't know what's going to happen, we tend to assume the worst, we tend to catastrophize. And that really creates a lot of extra internal stress. I would call that internal because it's really kind of manufactured inside us in a way. Um, you know, the worst is almost never going to happen. And yet the thought of what might possibly transpire and with our negativity bias, what's the worst thing that could happen, that sort of drives our fear and and therefore creates quite a lot of stress. Now, I know Sarah had a question about stress as well. Yeah, you know, <laughs> as someone who who has had burnout occasionally, I'll admit it, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Um, you know, the difference or the inner, the relationship between stress and burnout, right? We hear people talking a lot about, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, right? And I think there's a nuance in there that I took from you in the book. Um, of burnout being more of a, a state, is that right? And stress is kind of what feeds that state. Did did I understand that properly? Yes, I I, I think exactly so. You know, burnout is a state of fatigue caused by stress. So I absolutely agree with you. And is the fact okay, Jim? I didn't I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but it just popped up, and I've I've got to ask. I know we're all remarking now on the fact that we're not sure what day it is, right? We're all on Zoom 24-7 on the weekend, on, during, the, during the week, and whether it's a Sunday or it's a Tuesday or something like that, what, what role does um, you know, this change in our, uh, our routines have to play on, on stress within our homes. The kids are in, they're running around, the dogs are going nuts. You know, what, what does routine have to do with this? Again, I think we tend to be more comfortable with a set of rules, uh, structure that's often made by ourselves, but we're more comfortable when we know what to do, what's happening 30 minutes from now, dinner's at six, uh, bedtime's at 8.30, uh, et cetera. So I think when we don't know what day it is, and everybody knows it's Wednesday today, of course, 
Is it, um, is it Wednesday? <laughs> I don't know. It's Thursday. It'll be Tuesday when they hear it. Uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, this actually, is, I think it's Thursday. I was only kidding. Yes. <laughs> but, but I know. It's that uncertainty. Uncertainty that you're talking exactly. about, I think. Yeah. Yes, I think when we don't know what is going to happen, again, uh, we tend to imagine the worst thing that might happen. You know, and in my field in critical care and anesthesiology, it's important to imagine what the worst thing that can happen might be. And so that's why it's a stressful pro profession in part, because uh, we, we do always have to be mindful of the worst thing that can happen. And sadly, occasionally in my work, it does happen. But for most of us, the worst thing that can happen when we're not sure what is possible will never come to be. And so, uh, but again, I think what you're pointing toward is the lack of structure in our day. And that causes us at times not to remember what day it is. And uh, I think one of the antidotes to having kids at home and for people working at home with or without children is to maintain some structure, to maintain some normality, to have a time when we get up, uh, generally when we take our meals, what hours we're going to commit to work, hopefully what time we're gonna to commit to working out, getting some exercise. <laughs> uh, hopefully that three to five minutes in the morning when we're gonna do our game meditation. And then at what time of evening we're gonna kind of fold up shop and do things that we enjoy that help us just relax, whether it's reading a book or seeing something on uh, Netflix. Uh, so I think imposing some structure on our, on our day is helpful in part it'll help us remember what day it is but more importantly i think at least getting rid of some of that uncertainty and uh, i think this also kind of having a structure a scaffolding if you will causes us to be more productive um can you have a conversation with my 14 year old son about this structure thing because you know he's basically playing he gets he plays xbox all night and, and getting up at like two in the afternoon. If you could have a conversation with them, that would be really helpful to me. We'll bring well, him I, on afterwards. I hesitate afterwards. to tell you this, Jim, but but I'm going to have to lay some of that responsibility on you. <laughs> you are, you're absolutely right. It is me. It is me. So I have to deal with that. Um, you talked earlier about a negativity bias. Um, how do we combat that, you know, in our daily experiences? Well, as you know, the, the gain acronym stands for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And the I is intention. That, that represents that we can be purposeful about guiding our own lives and in fact, our thought processes. And I'll give you a great example of how intention can make us happier. And this is just a, a simple example and only one of many. There's a program at Duke University called Three Good Things. And if you, you read the book, so you, you read a little bit about it. And if you have time, you can always go online and, and just search for Three Good Things, Duke University. But basically, it's a program and people enter the program. It can be online. And they take a quality of life survey. So uh, the survey results are designed to detect how burnt out or how well, if you will, they are. Then they commit to a simple program, and that is that each night before they go to sleep, they think of three good things that happened to them during the day. And so for me this evening, it will be, you know, another beautiful day in Northern California on Stanford campus, and I plan to go for a walk later on. 
Uh, a second thing, we'll certainly be sharing this hour with uh, you, Jim, and Sarah. I was going to ask I'm, about that, if that was a good thing or not. <laughs> uh, no, it's a wonderful thing. I, I'm enjoying the company of both of you. You seem like two wonderful people. Um, so that will be an, an, another good thing. And, and certainly there are good things ahead um, in my day. I plan to go for a bike ride and uh, get together virtually with some friends, my brother. So when I go to sleep tonight, or when I'm getting ready to go to sleep, when I'm turning down the bed cover, whatever, I'm simply going to remember these three things. You know, the beautiful day, um, my great conversation with Jim and Sarah, uh, my connection with my brother and, and perhaps another loved one, perhaps a bike ride. And what they found at Duke was that simply by internally declaring and, and ideally writing down, but I don't do that, I just think of three good things that happen, it helps us sleep, improves the quality of our sleep and, and makes us happier as they've determined by doing these serial quality of life surveys. So that's just a very simple example how our intention, how our purposefulness, how our ability to guide our thoughts toward the positive, even only uh, briefly each day, actually contributes to our happiness. And um, I think that's a very poignant example. And so the power of intention, if you will, is to bend the course or the vector of our thoughts from the negative to the positive, to remind us to think of what we have instead of what we don't have. And that's part of my gain meditation every morning is reviewing three good things that happened the day before and reminding myself to focus on all of the beauty and, and wonder in my life rather than focusing on what I don't have, which is the tendency of most of us to focus on the negative and what we don't have. What I love about that, Greg, is you put science behind what my 12-step sponsor has been telling me for over a decade, which is to do a gratitude list. And, and it was a practice that they have a lot of people start in early sobriety, right? This idea of, of what, what are you grateful for? But what you're doing is you're, you're giving a why that I really appreciate why we're going through that, that acknowledgement in the intention um, and, and what that does. And I, I have found since reading the book, when I've put that idea towards it, I'm sleeping a little better. Yes. Beautiful. Really Beautiful. Well, you know, the 12-step the program embraces the serenity prayer, and I think the program and the serenity prayer embrace some of the other elements of, of gain. And I think these four elements are really the four pillars of resilience and happiness. So they appear in the 12-step program, in the serenity prayer, in the definition of mindfulness, in pretty much every philosophy and even religious belief. The gratitude is so important, and um, I definitely want to dive. I'm interrupting you because we have to take a quick break, but I definitely want to dive into the whole gain process when we get back. Sure. Um, thank you for thank you for joining us for Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We'll be right back, and uh, we'll have more of this great conversation with Greg. Glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Dr. Greg Hammer. So Greg, um, you had a, a really, a, a, I wanted to talk briefly about this. You had a really difficult situation in your life with the loss of your son. And I know that was quite devastating and I can only imagine what that was like. But you say you said you gained some clarity about suffering from that. And I wondered you if you could expand on that a little bit. Sure. We were just beginning to talk about gratitude. And I would say the first thing is that uh, having lost my son at the age of 29, first, of course, I go to my negativity bias and, and how terrible and so on. But then I quickly recognize that which I teach, which is the gain methodology or the gain principles. And that begins with gratitude. And so I'm grateful for having 29 years with Max. He was an amazing guy, he had a big footprint. He was so vibrant and full of life, so intelligent, so gifted, uh, gifted pianist. Uh, I got him a piano that's in my home. I, I you know, can hear him playing Mozart without looking at the sheet music in my head all the time. And uh, he used to play while I was cooking dinner, for example. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for all the wonderful memories I have. The A in gain is for acceptance. And we talked a little bit about the serenity prayer, the 12-step program. Acceptance means that first we discern between what we can change and what we cannot change. And we focus on what we cannot change in acceptance and accept it instead of whining about it and complaining about it, which brings us inevitably, and you know by the conversations you've had with your friends and family and colleagues that when you start having a conversation about almost anything, it tends to gravitate toward the negative. You know, you find that everyone's kind of whining about the situation. And instead, I think acceptance means first discerning between what you can change and what you cannot change. Uh, what you cannot change, we need to accept. And so in the acceptance portion of my gain meditation every morning, the first thing I think of is my son, and I need to accept the fact that he passed away. So I actually, while I'm sitting and focusing on my breath with my eyes closed in a comfortable position, I begin to visualize actually my chest opening and my heart opening and the pain and suffering related to my son's death just kind of gets closer and closer and closer until I merge with it. Until the answer to the question, can I live with this pain forever is yes. And so I bringing closer and closer that which causes us pain and suffering, that which we cannot change is so important. Now, often we realize when we, when we merge with it, it's not really as bad as we thought. And, you know, I, I would even say that about the death of my son. Of course, it, you know, it's a terrible loss. But when people think of a parent losing a child, they think of just devastation and can't go on and I don't know how you do it and you're so strong. Actually, you know, it's, it's, it's part of life. I think we realize when we truly open our hearts, there's pain and suffering everywhere. There's pain and suffering throughout history with slavery, with horrible wars and, you know, I sort of, I'm a bit of a history buff with regard to the 20th century, not only 
with respect to medicine and infectious disease, but also war. And, you know, our society, our culture has just been full of awful things that we do to each other. And kind of merging with this and accepting it as part of life just kind of takes away some of the edge. And uh, so, you know, uh, the gratitude, the acceptance, we talked about the intention, which is knowing that on purpose, we can change the way we think from a negative way to a more positive, uh, connected way. And the end is non-judgment. I think that we, we constantly compare ourselves to other people and other people to other people. And this is good, that is bad. I'm smarter than him. She's better looking than her. It's exhausting, it's, it's pointless. If we can just see the world exactly as it is, we can't change it, we didn't create it this way. If we can just accept it with open arms exactly as the way it is, with a bit of benevolence, but also a certain amount of indifference, and just let the beauty of the way the world is resonate. It, it's not you know, perfect, it, it, there's pain and suffering, but just see it the way it is. Don't try to change it. We don't have to label everything. And I think that saps our energy and, and brings us to a more negative place. So I think these gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment principles are just universally so important and something we really need to embrace more. Okay, so it's gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment. That's, that's the gain process, the, the steps. Exactly. You mentioned in the book um, that suffering equals pain times resistance. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, in medicine, we have a lot of formulas, so I just couldn't contain myself. I had to put one formula in the book. <laughs> what I mean by that is exactly uh, what we talked about as acceptance. Acceptance can be considered the opposite of resistance. When we resist something, when we focus on it, when we say, why me? When we pretend it's not there, when, you know, how we tend to often submerge painful thoughts, they always come back and, and bite us. They're always there, kind of undermining our happiness. So when we resist painful events or emotions or phenomena, we magnify the suffering. So, you know, a simple example, you, uh, you tear a ligament in your knee, your knee's all swollen, you can't ski, you can't run. The more you focus on your pain and, and kind of resist it by feeling sorry for yourself and so on, the more you're going to suffer. The pain is the pain, but you can diminish the suffering by accepting it and moving on. And even again, going to the game principles, being grateful that your other knee is healthy and that the rest of your body is healthy and you know, that you fully accept this happened to you. It's not the end of the world. It, you know, this is something that happens to everybody or far worse. And then use your intention to kind of guide your thoughts into a more positive direction. I'm going to heal. I'm going to get better. I'm still able to enjoy all of these other beautiful elements of life. And then don't judge the world for having hurt your knee. And importantly, don't judge yourself for the way you're responding to it. So I think letting go self-judgment is perhaps the most difficult but but that equation suffering equals pain times resistance really relates to the way we deal with pain in our lives 
You know, something comes up for me too, always comes up around that word acceptance, where people get tripped up with the idea of accepting something means it's okay, right? And wanting to resist saying something's not right or something's not okay. How, how do you view, if you could talk a little more about that in relation to acceptance? When sure. When there are things that, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of social justice issues right now too, right? And things like that. How, how does acceptance play into this? Well, acceptance is not being laissez-faire. It's not just lying down and taking it. What acceptance means, as you know, as the serenity prayer would have it, is discerning between what you can change and what you cannot change and having the wisdom to accept that which you cannot change. Uh, what you, you can change some things. So with respect to social injustice, we can all do our parts to change that. I mean, I, I just had back surgery, so I'm doing a lot of walking around my neighborhood as, as part of my rehab. And I'm amazed at all the lawn signs and banners that are hanging, uh, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those are things that we can change. We can all have an impact on our, on our culture, on our society. We all need to speak out. We all need to act out in a positive way with respect to things that we may have a power to change, even if the change is very small and incremental. But there are things we can't change. And so by opening our hearts to those, we're not simply lying down and taking it. We've made an intelligent decision that this is something I'm just not gonna change. You know, I can't change everything in the world. You know, I would have to quit my job and, you know, point myself in the direction of everything I don't like. It's not practical. And even if we did that, there's a lot of things we can't change. We can't change everybody's mind. So we have to accept in that case that some people think differently. And we have to accept that. We have to accept that as part of what seems to us the imperfection of the world. So yes, I think that's an excellent point, Sarah, that acceptance is not simply submitting to that which is wrong, not by any stretch. In terms of intention, can you reiterate a little bit about that? I'm, I'm, I, I would like some more clarity on what do you mean? I, I understand gratitude, acceptance, non-judgment. What do you mean by intention again? By intention, I mean being purposeful about changing the negativity bias that we all seem to have innately as part of our construct. So John Kabat-Zinn, who really started the mindfulness teaching, uh, defined mindfulness as being present on purpose, non-judgmentally. And we could talk about being present because I think it's so essential to be present. We need to think about the future so we can plan and look forward to happy things. We need to think about the past so we can learn from our mistakes and savor our memories. But we get stuck in feelings of the past, which brings remorse, a lot of shame, a lot of self-blame. And we get stuck and obsessed in thoughts of the future where we catastrophize. We think of the worst. We have fear and anxiety. So being in the present moment, which is really the only experience we ever have, is a key to happiness. But with respect to intention, I mentioned uh, mindfulness because John Kabat-Zinn defined it as being present on purpose, non-judgmentally. So the idea is to use the power of our mind to be present and also 
begin to focus on the positive, focus on what we have rather than what we don't have. I think every time we start to think of, oh, poor me, I don't have this, someone else has it, I don't have it. Remember, you know, a little light bulb should go off. I have the power actually to switch my focus to what I do have. I have a beautiful home. I have a wonderful sibling or loved one. I have a, one or more beautiful children. So by intention, I mean bringing the focus back to the positive, whether it's three good things, whether it's sort of a glass is half full mentality, being grateful for what we have and not sorrowful for what we don't have. That's using the power of our incredible mind on purpose with intention. You talk about happiness being the goal. I think happiness is a state in which we are truly grateful, truly accepting of the pain and suffering in the world. We use our intention to be present and we view the world and indeed ourselves with a sort of benevolent indifference as opposed to negative judgments. So I think those elements define happiness. We're grateful, we're accepting, we're purposeful, we're non-judgmental. We see the world with benevolent indifference, as Francis Lucille said. That creates a condition of peace, of contentment, of an absence of suffering. So I want to ask a question about benevolent indifference and how that differs from callousness. Sure. I mean, again, that's our negativity bias, our, our cynicism, our looking at the negative, just, and, and I respect the question and it represents kind of being a little bit cynical about being indifferent. Benevolent indifference means that we view the world exactly as it is without judgment. So we don't judge the world and its contents as good or bad. We simply accept it exactly as it is. It doesn't trigger thoughts of envy or thoughts of it should be this way or that way. That's the indifference. It's, it's really just complete acceptance. But we're not totally neutral. We see it kind of as a little bit sweet, a little bit lovely, a little bit loving, a little bit vibrant, and that's the benevolence. So we see the world and each other and ourselves without any judgment. I am not good or bad. I'm simply who I am. But there's a little bit of sweetness to that, and that's the benevolence. So um, again... That was That's something helpful. that Francis Lucille said. Yes, I think it, it does sound a little bit callous, as you suggested. Well, but yeah, I mean, I think what, what I'm observing recently is that, you know, with the rise of social media, and I use social media, so I'm not going to bash it. Um, but what we're doing is we're encouraging ourselves to constantly be giving a judgment or an opinion on everything we see. It's a thumbs up. It's a thumbs down. It's a heart. It's an angry face. You know, so I wonder... Um, if we're, if we're creating this loop of everything that I see, I need to have a judgment of, or I need to have a response to, 
um, rather than being able to see in that way that you're speaking about. So, so I appreciate that, that change in the diff in the distinction, the distinction. What do you see? Have you seen anything with the rise of, of social media in your work and the effect on burnout and stressors and all of that? Well, I think like every other aspect of technical advancement, there is a double-edged sword phenomenon. Um, you talked about social media and how we can be overly bombarded with opinions. And we are reminded of the polarity between sides of government and even just down to one person's thought process. This is good, this is bad. And I think when we're overexposed to that, when we're overexposed to judgment, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Just like when we are overexposed to our own judgment, it's just tiring and it's not productive. So I don't think it's productive to hear a lot of polarized opinions. The truth frequently lies somewhere in between. So I think there's a negative side to social media, but that's on us. I mean, we need to kind of dial it down, turn down the volume and maybe just get exposure in little bits and pieces here and there rather than have even NPR or CNN or whatever it is on all the time. I think there, there's a distracting and, and somewhat destructive aspect to that. The flip side is we hear good ideas, we hear smart people expressing opinions that we may not have thought of that may help change our minds. So, you know, again, I think like almost everything else in technology, um, there's a good and a bad. It's just like, it reminds me of the cultural revolution or the agricultural revolution that occurred maybe 12 or 13,000 years ago. You know, we were hunters and gatherers and subjected to the, what seemed like the whimsy of successful hunts and, and gathering and the weather and so on. So we had a great idea of maybe plowing a field and planting some crops and building a house and staying in one place and that was a huge advance. I mean, it led to so many wonderful things. But on the other hand, the workday and the hunting gathering period was three or four hours a day. The rest of the time was spent with our families and communities. In the agricultural era, the workday was almost never ending. There was constantly plowing, weeding, sowing, reaping, having drought, taking care of our field and our house. So, you know, it was, a, it was an advance, but it came with a price. And I, I look at, you know, the uh, advent of the computer age, when I saw my kids having multiple windows on their computer screen open and attached to their screens all the time, it's obviously some bad associated with it if you want to make a judgment. And, uh, but obviously a lot of positive things, bringing people together, allowing us during the pandemic to be yeah. connected as we are now, as opposed to how it was 100 years ago during the great influenza pandemic in 1918. So double-edged sword for sure. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote. I think it was Zalman Shekhtar Shalomi who said it. The mind is like tofu. Be careful what you marinate it in. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, now, the gain process, uh, you talked earlier about do, doing a gain meditation. Is that just a going through each section? How do you do a gain meditation? Well, I, do we have three minutes? We do. All right, let's do it. All right. Yay, practice time. I think it's illustrative. <laughs> so let's all close our eyes. I, I can see the two of you, but I can't see your listeners. So I'm 
no cheating. Close our eyes. The first thing is to just sit in a comfortable position. It's okay if you have an itch. Um, people fail at meditation because they expect to be able to sit still for 30 minutes with no thoughts in their head. That's just too big a bite and, and not necessary. So I believe in small steps, but daily practice. So a three-minute meditation, a gain meditation every morning. So let's get in touch with our breath and slowly inhaling through our nose to a count of three, pausing to a count of two, letting out the breath without effort to a count of four, and repeating that in to a count of three, noticing the slight sweetness in the air, holding to a count of two, exhaling to a count of four, and noticing how grateful we are for the warm and safe place in which we're sitting, how grateful we are for being connected with each other. Even if we can't be with our loved ones in person, we can be with them virtually. How wonderful it is to be all connected. How wonderful it is to be living where we are. It could be so much worse. We're so grateful. We're full of appreciation. But noticing that there's pain and suffering in the world. Men and women have mistreated each other for centuries. Slavery, pulling people out of their homes and communities and shipping them off to foreign lands to serve as slaves. Wars, famines, ravaging of the ecology loss of loved ones. There's so much pain and suffering in the world. But we acknowledge this and we open our hearts to it. We can visualize actually opening our heart and letting the pain and suffering we experience in. So closer and closer gradually until it has merged with us. Until we say to ourselves that we can live with this forever. We accept everything just exactly as it is. Noticing our intention, noticing the power of our minds to look at things on the sunny side, on the bright side, to be grateful for what we have rather than focus on what we don't have, to be intentionally kind and generous, to notice on purpose three good things in our day, the sunny sky, the sound of the voice of a loved one, a delicious bite of food. We have the power of intention to be positive, to be forward-looking, and noticing our non-judgment. We don't have to compare ourselves to everything around us. We don't have to compare people to each other. Things do not have to be good or bad. We see the world simply as it is. We did not create it. We cannot change it. We accept it, we see it with a quality of beauty and benevolence. We don't have to judge. We can just let it be. And going back to our breath, the slow inhalation through our nose to a count of three, pausing to a count of two, letting it out to a count of four allowing our heart rate and blood pressure to settle down, slowing our breathing down, 
being full of appreciation and gratitude and acceptance and intention and non-judgment. What a wonderful way of being. And we slowly open our eyes to the world around us. Thank you. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you, Greg. And clearly, I have to call my sponsor. I still have acceptance issues. (laughs) 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 Or reread Greg's chapter, that's for sure. Well, if we start our day with a three-minute meditation and we can focus on elements that we want to concentrate on during the day, like today I'm going to be non-judgmental, even if I'm only going to be non-judgmental of the first person I see that I tend to have some aggravated feelings with. I'm driving to work. There's a person who changed their lanes ahead of me without using their turn signal. As we get aggravated, we realize we made a pledge to ourselves to be non-judgmental. So we, we drop the judgment of that person as a bad driver. And it actually feels good. And you know, as we practice this every day, as little as three minutes, maybe picking one of the elements to focus on that day, you'd be surprised that after two, three, six months, how our lives are just a little bit different in a positive way. Well, that's awesome. Greg, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on and, and thanks for joining us. Um, it's, uh, it's great to have your perspective on Big Universe. Well, it's really my pleasure. And Jim and Sarah, I'd be happy to come back anytime, but I've, I've really enjoyed being with you this morning. Greg's book is Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And by the way, it does apply to everybody. You can get more information about Greg and his work at www.greghammermd.com. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and help people to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Join me there, I hope. Thanks, everybody. It's been great having you, and we'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.